What's up, what's up, what's up, podcast world, Chad B, back at you here with another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Before we get started, you know I'm going to drop a little bit of that North American Whitetail Championship on you. Get signed up, nawtc.com, bonecollector.com, $300 to sign up. As soon as you hit that sign up enter button, you get a Tacticam, Broadheads, Peep Sights, a Gator Coolers Tumbler. A, it's, I mean, it's a four dollars to $500 value that you get for signing up for $300. And you also get a chance to qualify and win $50,000 cash money. I don't know if you understand how many dollar bills that is, but it's 50,000 of them. Single dollar bills. George Washington's. You follow? You know what I'm saying? You know what you could buy? You know what down payment you can make with $50,000 cash money? Well, that's what you can win in the 2019 North American Whitetail Championships brought to you by our buddies down there in Booger Bottom, Georgia, Michael Waddell and the Bone Collector crew, Steve Schmidt. Clint Walker, Mike, everybody over there at Wicked Outfitters in the great state of Kansas. They call it a flyover state, but in my opinion, it is an absolute hammer, especially if you like to target and chase whitetail buck deer. Okay, you heard of a munching on clover, but in Kansas, they grow them big. But this doesn't just include Kansas. It includes 14 regions across America and Canada. So 14 regions across the continental United States and Canadian provinces. Your chance to be qualified to win $50,000 cash money with the 2019 North American Whitetail Championship. Again, brought to you by our friends at Bone Collector and Wicked Outfitters. Check them out, support them, and also support the sponsors that are bringing you the North American Whitetail Championships. It's going to be a great contest. It's ethical, it's morally correct, it's safe, and it's an awesome way to get deer hunters across the country united. So if you enjoy chasing whitetail buck deer with your bow and arrow, if you're an archery enthusiast and you like getting up in a tree stand or a box blind or a ground blind and you like drawing back that bow and breathing heavy and panting with that breath coming out of your mouth, watch a couple episodes of Bone Collector. Watch Nick and T-Bone and Michael Waddell do it. They're some of the best at it. When they're under pressure, they perform on a daily basis, and that's what you're going to need to do to win that $50,000. So check it out, the North American Whitetail Championships. We're going to get on with this awesome episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. We're so proud of the podcast and we're so humbled by your response to it. Keep bringing the questions, keep bringing the topics. If you got somebody that you think wants to be on it or you want to see on it or hear on it, let us know. Just uh, email us at info at this life ain't for everybody or you can find us at the Foul Life. You can find us at Jargon Game Calls. You can find us at Banded. Keep, uh, keep it rocking out there. And today's guest is no other then Andrew, Mr. Andrew, I call him Andrew because I can't pronounce his last name very good. It's a different last name. Say it real quick. Sklazacek. He is the owner and operator of Wild Acre Kennels out of the great state of Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, the land of the muskie, but it's also the land of the Canada geese and the mallard ducks. It's an earlier season and it's got a lot of tradition up there around Mankato, around, what is the, what is it? Rochester's probably the main part of, uh, of Minnesota for waterfowl tradition. Yes, Rochester, Lacoparo, all those are really good but rochester's kind of where it was founded and then goes over lack of is really nice down over there and um even where i live you know lee center montgomery that's we have a pretty decent waterfall hunting as well what too. kind of hunting is this mainly dry fields yeah dry fields um a lot of lakes ponds um not really any rivers we do have one river but we do a lot of dry field hunting um but a lot of you know a lot of people do the lakes you know we just have small lakes ponds private stuff as well too so do you do you mainly enjoy i mean as far as your love of waterfowl hunting 
do you like being on a dry field hunt more than anything? Yep. Even as a dog trainer, huh? it seems to me that as a dog trainer, you would want to be in the most classic, traditional sense of a waterfowl hunt on an oxbow, on a on a reservoir, somewhere where that dog can leap into the water. You know, obviously clear a debris, and you go out there and check it for safety to make sure he doesn't land on anything. But just launching off of the side of a bank or off of his stand and swimming and, and retrieving a mallard duck or a pintail or something, then swimming back through those decoys. That seems to me but i get it you know a dry field it's powerful those mallards coming down those geese and then those dog you know hiding a dog in a ground blind making sure that he's still making sure that he's not you know breaking and it can be powerful but to me it just seems like a dog trainer would want to be in the water but you're you're the exact opposite huh no no don't get me wrong you know i love watching the dogs leap into the water do all that we it's not like we don't water hunt at all but um you know we're just kind of born and raised on field hunting so that's kind of what's in our blood what's our passion um but there's nothing cooler to us pulling out in the field with our trucks and trailers and setting up everything getting everything just right having our dogs in the mud huts right next to us um and we can get those dogs to land at the feet of our blinds and um having those dogs stay in those blinds and not break until we're ready to go but you're 100 correct you know watching a dog leap into the water is absolutely the coolest thing in the whole entire world to us too um but we kind of practice that in the summertime train for that in the summertime and also do all of our field training as well too so what where is the are are you when you're on these hunts during the season are you taking clients dogs or do you have your own dogs that you own or do you do both do you take you know a client he comes in to pick up his dog in october which you know october can be good in minnesota october november um he comes in picks up his dog but before he leaves he gets out on a hunt with andrew and the crew at wild acre and, and watches his dog perform and goes over some of the things that you've been teaching the dog yeah so we, we don't really take it like on a, a wild hunt but what we do is um you know we have land that we go on that we plant birds um to show them their dog in real live action um we go into the pond throw real live mallards um and then we go and shoot roosters up in the upland field with them so we set up our own hunt we don't really do any wild hunting with them you know i'll get calls from customers saying hey you know we don't really have anywhere to go do you have an extra room and then can you help us run our dog and i'll go if we have a field and everything or a, a pond or something to go to absolutely i have them they want to come on with and kind of see how we do it and see what to do and how to run your dog and you know where to put the dog where to position the dog you know a lot of people that we train dogs for um never even really uh um, had a dog before you know a lot of them are this is their first dog first everything so and they're just getting into hunting um lately it's been hey i just started hunting just got this dog don't really know what i'm doing can you kind of help me through it all and we kind of sit down and just go through everything from you know the dog training to how to position decoys what brands to buy that i like um and just kind of branch off from there and so your clients got a really good gist of what's going on by the time they take that dog home because if you think about it you know you know I would think that, and I talk to Brad a lot, and you know that we work with Brad Arrington at Mossy Pond. He's a stud, and they have a hell of an operation in Georgia and New York. And one of his things and one of his pet peeves with me is that I don't get around enough during the off-season to work with the dogs and get to know them. Luckily, you know, Brad comes out and hunts and brings Axel, brings Mo, and um, we get, you know, you got to have that association. you got to have that relationship. they got to know your voice. they got to know who you are. And then you don't want them to, you know, go six months of training and you not be around, and then all of a sudden they're living in a new house and a new, you know, they're going to get acclimated pretty quick, I would assume. 
but as a, as the owner of the kennel, you would prefer those owners come in a couple times during the trainer and, and or during the training time, or you know whether it's three months, six months, nine months, however long dogs are in your kennel for. I would think you'd want that owner that's going to take that dog in the long run and, and and hunt with it to come in a few times to get acclimated with that dog and, and learn what you're doing with it, right? Oh, 100%. percent. Um, you know, because you can't really train a dog. You know, the way that I train a dog and say, hey, here you go. You know, good luck. You know, absolutely. We spend about three to four hours with every customer. Um, for the hunting part of it, going over um, all your basic obedience, how I got your dog to deliver to hand, tools to be working on in the summertime to get that dog confidence built up in you. You know, the biggest thing with dogs is when we're done with the training, you know, the dog's looking at us like he, that dog has the confidence in me. And um, now we need to get that confidence built into the owner. Um, so that's how we take the, the customers out. We go out in the field. We set up a hunt. We show them. We run them. I take a retrieve to kind of visually show them. And then the next four or five retrieves I have that customer take. So that customer starts to build confidence up. Um, and then we go over in the water. We do all your basic beans. Like I said, we do everything with that customer so they feel 100% too. Um, I also stand behind on my training 100%. So if, um, you know, the dog's not doing something correctly or the dog's getting confused or doesn't have that confidence with that owner, um, I just have the owner come back and we we re-go over everything again until we get that dog just perfect for that owner and what what do you offer at wild acre do you can you do everything at wild acre from finding a puppy to a you know a litter yeah you find a starter dog you guys offer obedience you offer gun dog you um what what all do you offer there um so we do we have puppies um uh, right now, uh, we got Kai and Josie. Um, Kai and Josie will be moms next winter, so a year from now. Um, so we're just getting into the breeding part. Um, it takes about two years to get into it, but we got two very nice females, very well bred. Um, they're actually going in the summer to get some titles put underneath them. Um, and then um, <clears throat> we do starter dogs too. We will start once we get the puppies going. We will keep dogs to do some started dogs. Um, but for right now, getting this all started, we, um, you know, we do everything from just basic obedience, you know, from um, a wiener dog to a Bernadoodle to a Labradoodle to poodles to you name it. Um, and then we do all your hunting dogs as well, too. And we don't turn around any hunting dogs. So if it's not a tradition hunting dog, you know, we're not going to say, nope, we don't do it. We, we try it, but we're honest with that customer saying, like, we're not here to spend their money. So it's if the dog just isn't doing it right or anything, I'm calling them. I'm telling them, hey, this is what we're seeing. This is what we're doing. You know, or, hey, that one phone call I hate doing saying, hey, this is, just isn't going to happen. Um, and then we do all your, your waterfall upland hunting needs, um, shed hunting um and then um you know all we do advanced hand signals as well too where you run blind retrieves with their dogs as well so this whole phenomenon with shed hunting it's like i i guess it's kind of like duck hunting you know americans or you know people that love to duck hunt have this dog that it's really a tool a dog and duck blind is a tool it's an ethical tool to have for cripples or birds that fall outside of your view outside of the you know the decoy spread they might go into deep cover those dogs are trained to go in use their nose find those cripples and bring them back we can dispatch them and then you know butcher them and process them and eat them and that's what a hunting dog is for is is it's an ethical tool that helps us make sure that we pick up all of the birds whether they're dead or crippled um, for our limit that day and 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 bring it back to shed hunting phenomenons like shed hunting is a thing to where i i remember just you know you'd walk you'd be 
you'd be in the mountains and you'd see a shed that had been, you know, had the sun on it for several months. You'd pick it up and you'd bring it home. But now people are there the day after, you know, the deer are dropping these horns and they're looking like what deer are on our properties? What, you know, what trophies are we raising? They have all these cameras out there on all these whitetail properties, you know, mainly in the Midwest and then, and then east of the Mississippi. And you have a, a ton of people that are growing food plots and, and raising big deer. So this shed hunting deal has become a big deal because they want to know what deer are on their property property, using their property, living on their property, shedding on, shedding their horns on their property. And they want to know, like, did that deer shed? Or if we don't find his sheds, they worry, like, did, is he using another piece of property? Did he get killed by a coyote? Did he get hit by a truck? All these whitetail hunters are just, they're, they're thinking about all of this stuff all season long. So now you bring the labs in. And I know that, you know, that Dawkin was a big time, you know, he's, he's raised, and you've worked with Dawkin. He's done, a, he raises dogs for like Lee and Tiffany that or they're not, they're mainly known as shed hunters. They do use them on waterfowl hunts as well, but the shed hunting phenomenon, I mean, it's big now, right? I mean, you, you're training dogs to go out and what they're sniffing for whitetail blood. And when they smell that blood on the horns, they can, they, it, they're, they pick up that scent and it brings them to the shed and they just come running back with it. Yeah. So, um, you know, a blood has a little bit to do with it, but actually when a, an antler falls off of a deer at the base of the antler, there's a little wax ring that's on that antler. And, um, so that, that's where that scent comes from. And then also, you know, obviously hair and blood as well too. Um, but the coolest thing about the shed hunting thing is, you know, it's for your big time, you know, bow hunters that are watching these deers from deer from one to two years old to, Hey, now they're five or six. And they have that history of those antlers from little to big till they, they want to take them and it's hanging on their wall. Now they have that history from beginning all the way to finish hanging up on their wall. And it's just like a cool, rewarding trophy. Um, I never used to really shed hunt, but now me and my buddies kind of back at home are really getting into it. And, um, it's fun because we can we can take our dogs out all fall long and waterfall hunt them and have the time of our lives with them and then in the springtime you know we can go out and walk the woods and figure out our deer paths figure out where deer are feeding where they're going um, and then find an antler is just the biggest trophy ever and they're really? and they're cool to have around the house you know I got them all over my house um, in my night nightstands or TVNs or end tables or whatever we got them built into there and it's just a cool little thing to have. Are there big deer in Minnesota? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So, um, you know, not far more south, like where I am, but if you go up north, there's some big deer up there over Wisconsin, you know, all the way down from Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Texas, you know, all those people are just huge shed hunters and deer hunters. So, you know, the main thing that, that, that comes to mind when I sit down with somebody like you is, is obviously dogs and I love dogs. And is it wrong to say though that if you're around in which we are and we're humbled to be able to say this that we're around a lot of good dogs you know working with brad and guys like you and kirk nesbitt and yuka nuba and avery sporting dog we've you know we've been lucky to have really really good dogs around us for a lot of years during a lot of hunts and a lot of different locations and it, it it's almost given me and i don't like to think of it like a like a an, an attitude or an arrogance but man i can't handle a bad dog and it, you get to the point when you're around a good dog like we've been around josie and kai the last couple of days and waylon and duff and and now you know slash was just born in texas right yep or no minnesota minnesota he was mm -hmm. born and you're going to be training him starting at the end of april when he's eight weeks and then that you know that'll be our dog and when you're around a dog that whimpers or breaks or you know whines and doesn't and you can tell that he hasn't been trained in a solid manner. It's almost like a, a catch 22. Like you don't want to say anything to hurt the owner's feeling or piss the owner off, 
But you really do want to say something like, man, you owe it to this hunt and owe it to that dog not to yell at it, not to get mad at it. It's, it's not the dog's fault that he's or she's not performing. So it's almost like I get around these dogs and I don't, I don't have a lot of patience with it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I don't even want to hunt with them. I want to hunt with dogs that, that either have a good reputation or they come with you or they come with Brad and I know they're going to be a strong dog or a strong asset to that hunt because I don't like being in the duck blind and hearing a dog whimper and I don't like seeing a dog break. It's unsafe for that dog. He could get shot. He could get killed right in front of the blind and you don't want that at all. So is it wrong to have that attitude that I'm explaining like, oh my God, this dog sucks. Like you, that phone call you talked about making, but then the catch 22 side of it is like, I don't want people to hear me say that a dog sucks because it's a dog and you're not supposed to say it, but there's a lot of shitty dogs. There's a lot of dogs that aren't good because they haven't been trained right. And I think that you can't say that, I guess that's wrong to say there's a lot of shitty dogs, but there's a lot of dogs that deserve to be trained better. And there's some dogs that can't be trained and they just don't have it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like my buddy Kirk Nesbitt says, you know, they're out chasing butterflies when they need to be retrieving the duck. (laughs) And and it's just not what you want in in a sporting dog or in a duck dog. Is that the wrong attitude to have, or do you think that that's kind of across the board? Once you see a good dog and you become accustomed to one, it's almost like, man, we ain't got time for that. Yep. You know, all my customers always say, once you have one trained dog, you'll never have one that's not trained again. Um, but to have to have that attitude, you know, everybody that knows what a good dog is has that attitude. But there's a lot of people in that world that don't know what a good trained dog is. They think their dog is, that's the best dog in the world to them, which, which is great. Um, but, you know, what I always tell everybody is, they try to train them on their own and um, try to get that dog perfect on their own. And, it, and it's hard because um, what happens is is um, life gets in the way. So you got kids, basketball, tennis, soccer, whatever it is. And then you got um, you come home, you got to make dinner, you got to do everything. Well, before you know it, it's dark and you go, oh, man, I forgot to forgot to work with the dog today. Um, where when you when you start training with that pup, you need to work them every single solitary day or as much as you possibly can. Um, you can't really do work them on a Tuesday, then work them on a Thursday, then maybe on a Sunday, you know, that dog's never going to be able to move forward because it's just, it's not going to be able to remember what you taught in the past session. Um, so it's, it's tough to say, but, um, you know, everybody has that Demeter, you know, like, oh my God, get that dog out of the field one. You know, I've got a lot of years of guiding underneath my belt and I, I hear it all the time. I always just, um, keep my mouth shut. Um, just because I understand that some people, you know, some people can't afford the training, which is totally understandable. Um, but we're always just a phone call away too. Um, but it's, it is tough going out into a field or a duck blind and listen to that dog whine when I know my dogs won't. Um, but um, it all, all depends on your, your attitude towards dogs. You know, once you have that one good dog, then that's what you're going to expect from there on out. Um, but a lot of people, like I said, just they don't know what, what, a good, what their dog probably could be. And so what, how do you, where do you bring dogs in from? Is this something that's turning into the word gets out there and then you might get one to come over from Milwaukee and, you know, neighboring Wisconsin or over from Iowa, a couple from North Dakota, South Dakota, all those neighboring states of Minnesota, or is a kennel's goal to have people flying their dogs? Does that happen to where a, a trainer will get a reputation to where, somebody in California will send a dog to Minnesota or those Californians looking for a qualified trainer in that area to where their dog's not too far away. They can jump in the truck on a Sunday, go to the kennel or the training grounds and watch it train. 
Or is it becoming where, you know, people around the country hear about reputable dog trainers? Um, You know, Chris Aiken has an unreal reputation Mm -hmm. down in Arkansas, and Brad Arrington's getting one, and you're starting Wild Acre, and I'm sure with your work ethic and passion and love for it, you're going to get there, and that's what your goal is. But does it ever get to the point to where people are sending their dogs from all over the country to get trained by somebody, you know, in Minnesota or Georgia or somewhere? Oh, absolutely. You know, even even since I started, when I started my business, you know, I didn't didn't reach out to anybody else. All I did was... um, started a Facebook and Instagram, um, and then just learn from it. So you can, you know, Facebook is huge. You can do so many different things on there to promote your business. Um, and then, you know, this, just this past year, I've had a dog from Yakima, Washington, um, that heard of me through, um, I was out guiding and I used to guide out in South Dakota at, uh, pheasant hunting lodge and they heard of me through there i guided with one of their buddies or something um so that's how we heard of me um and then down in oklahoma i've trained a dog this past summer um so i'm pretty much the two two states for me oh and i had one dog come from new york um but mainly mainly minnesota but yeah as you get bigger and your name gets out there and um those people are going to pheasant hunting lodges when you're at pheasant hunting lodge you know there's people coming from all around the world and um then they say hey where'd, where'd you get that dog trained you know and then they see that and then they go oh that's you know they, they, a lot of them don't even blink an eye but they go if i can get my dog to that point i'll be extremely happy so then that's how you start to kind of break your name up and get your name out there and get those people from all around the world and you and you had spent a lot of time around pheasant lodges over the last 10 12 years right that's where 11 years 11 years you cut your teeth as a pheasant guide yeah you love waterfowl hunting yep. your passion is duck and goose hunting but there's a lot of money in pheasant hunting. So what, what is that all about? You have, you have guys coming from all over the world, coming to the Dakotas, uh, Minnesota, Iowa, but mainly the probably North and South Dakota is known for the pheasant. Now there's some in Nebraska, there's pheasant in Kansas and Oklahoma, but there used to be a ton of pheasant in Iowa. And it seems like the, it's moved a little bit more to the West and now kind of North Dakota, South Dakota is where you want to be for wild pheasant. And that's not saying that there's not great wild pheasant hunting all over I mean, I know they're in eastern Washington and all over mm-hmm. Montana and stuff, but these lodges that you've been around, you, the, the, these places are, I mean, this is multi-million dollar business in a short amount of time during the season. What is What do people love about pheasant hunting? You know, I'm going to use Thunder Sick Lodge, for instance. So when we were getting out there, you know, we have people coming from all around the world. And, and what they love about it is, you know, they get to fly in. You know, a lot of them are corporate, or so they're, they, they're working 24-7. So they don't get to peel away for a weekend when they're at home to, to go out and go hunting. So when they come to these lodges, you know, us guides, you know, we bust our butt to give them that best guiding or hunting experience and they get to come in and watch the dogs work um you know that's 90 percent of it it's like to watch the dogs work and then you know a lot of it is um business stuff so they do business meetings and then come out hunting um but what a lot of people love about it is they know when they come to the lodge that they're gonna get some shooting in um i had one guy tell me one time that um i go why do you do this why don't you like go out wild why don't you you know go just anywhere he goes well he goes seriously when i'm back at home like, I don't have a life. If I'm not working, I'm with my kids running around. You know, I've got kids in hockey, so they're, they're all over the place. Like, I don't even have time to do anything or baseball or, or soccer or anything. And um, she said, so when I come out here, I won't get pulled away from hunting. I won't, I won't be, have the opportunity to say, hey, I, I better not go hunting. I better go to my kid's game. He goes, when I'm out here, I know that I'll get to hunt for those three, four days. And um, it's just cool to watch, you know, come out there and they literally – go hunt and they want to hunt all day every day so the you just said that like why doesn't he go wild what do you mean by that like what do you so like a lot of the guy, the places that i work are all preserves 
you know, so we have to restock so much so often. You know, I think the rule is for South Dakota um, is every bird you shoot, you got to put two back in. Don't hold me to that, but it's something like that. So the, the DNR have it managed, so you have to put back in what you shoot because you do shoot a lot of wild birds. Um, but, like, what, 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 with wild bird hunting, you know, if you're way out in a CRP field or something, you might walk six, seven miles without even seeing a bird. We're on a, on a, on a preserve. We have it mowed, cut paths, you know, maintained. They have food there. They have water there. They have grit there. They have everything they need. There's no reason for them to leave. And then as we shoot birds and, you know, every so often we have to restock those birds, you know, so you're keeping your volume of birds around. We're a wild scenario. You know, you might go pheasant hunting, get into a bunch of them, and you go back there the next day and they won't be around for the most part. Um, and then you just got to keep searching for that bird where this way you can um, see more quantity of birds, shoot more quantity of birds and um, have way more fun with all your buddies. So I, I would assume that if you're planting birds or you have to have a, you know, a certain amount of birds restocked on these preserves that some of these birds, maybe a majority of them that don't get killed by hunters get out in the wild and mate with the wild pheasant. So it keeps the wild population. So you got, are you saying there's kind of like a hybrid domesticated wild pheasant running around, you know, in, in South Dakota, North Dakota? Um, I wouldn't really say domestic. I mean, they're, they're pen raised um, birds, but I mean, if you put them side by side, you have no idea that they're little, they're different. I mean, they look like a regular rooster or hen. Um, so then where's the wild pheasant from you think? Are they, are, did wild pheasant come from a from one of these preserves or were wild pheasant here way before imported. that? Wild pheasant came from where? Japan, China, um, China, I believe. I don't, right? even, I don't even know, but yeah, they're, I'm pretty sure they're imported in Mongolia. Same thing with the, the chucker too, I believe. Yeah. Um, and um, I'm just wondering if they came in as a preserve bird where they were planted and then no. they got out in the wild. So they were wild first. Yeah, they were wild first. And then pheasant hunting was made up out of that. I'm pretty sure. Like, I, I don't think that because, I mean, lodges started after pheasant hunting, I would imagine. Yeah, but how do you know that those pheasants that the guys were out there in their were wild? I mean, I, it's just it's hard to say right. what came first, you yeah. know, like where they I mean, obviously they were planted like in Nevada. We trade some of our sheep to different states for turkey. So you have wild turkey. They call them wild turkeys. They come here from um, Texas and, you know, a lot of them get they're not used to the amount of predators we have around here. So, you know, there's different things that they that they have to, you know, survive from to actually develop a population there and pheasants sometimes and you know in the last 20 years there was so many pheasant you know and i've heard that there's been a there's a lot of things that predict the pheasant population storms the hatch obviously if there's a hatch and then a big storm or snowfall after that which we've had that the last few years you know that might not be as good a pheasant season or the number of birds around but these these preserves they 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 have lodges they have private airstrips they have People coming from all over the country, do they bring corporate groups? A lot of it's done through corporate companies. They bring a lot of their employees or, or dealers or vendors or VIPs or whatever down there. They put their blaze orange on. A lot of them have pro shops. Some of the best ones are what? Scattergun. Um, what are some of the best lodges in, in South Dakota, North Dakota? Um, well, Scattergun, um, Thunderstick Lodge, Cheyenne Ridge. Cheyenne um, Ridge is awesome. That's a beautiful place. Beautiful lodge. Um, and there's some shitty ones too. Yeah. There's some ones that don't, you know, that, that, that don't care. They, they run hunters through there. They're not ethical. They don't do things right. We both know of one that's pretty, pretty, uh, not very, you know, as far as the ethics of it or the way that business is supposed to be done. I think that people need to do their research and talk to people about the reputation right. of these places. 
Because when you're paying that kind of money upwards of four, you know, thirty five hundred to five thousand dollars for a four night, four night stay and three day hunt, you can kill five pheasants each on a preserve mm-hmm. a day, and then you have the ability to say I want more birds, and then those other birds are accumulated and added on additional money per bird, anywhere from thirty five to fifty sixty bucks per bird, depending on where you're at. So you want that experience to be good. You want to go with a company like Scattergun or Cheyenne Ridge or Thunderstick that has a good ownership group, good guides, people that have been there, not a lot of turnover, you know, in an ethical group of people that do things right. And um, I've seen lodges in that area that go through different ownership groups, different people coming in and running it and, and, and just do it terrible, you know, that it's just the, 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 the clients I've heard come out of there. And you've told me, you've heard clients, the way they bitch about the experience and, I think that, you know, the one thing that you have to do is, hey, what kind of guides are on this property? What kind of dogs are these guys running? And if I'm paying four to five grand a night, 3,500 to five grand a, a day, I mean, a, a trip for a mm-hmm. three day hunt, it better be legit. Right. I'm talking good food, accommodations, lodging, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, what, what a lot of people love about these lodges, I mean, it, it's world class. It's like a once in a lifetime. So it's, it's, um, it's huge you know you can um they got i mean prime rib steak lobster oysters you you name it there's um everything you can possibly have you got five bird limits um a lot of these lodges have um uh, clay courses so you like go up into the the bluffs the valleys and um they have these massive clay courses set up so you can go shoot clays with all your buddies um i know thunderstick because i personally work there um they have like a five stand so it it shoots like um 120 clays in a minute or something it's just ridiculously fun and um you know a lot of it is you know a lot of the people don't even come you know back to these lodges once they have one experience they don't even really care about shooting a bird again they just want the same if they had the good guides you know biggest key to a pheasant hunting lodge is having good guides you know you got to have good guides you got to keep those smiles on those guides face so then they can take these these people out and give them a hunt of their lifetime. And when you're laughing with them, joking with them, um, having the time of their lives with them, they're not even thinking about shooting. They're just, they're just coming back to read, live a memory that the, every year these people look forward to coming hunt with Andrew or hunt with Rick or whatever. You know, they look forward to come back with us every single solitary year. And that's, you know, how you build that relationship. But you got to have good guides. You know, if um, I've got it other places that, you know, some of the guides get mad or get angry or get anything. Well, that, that takes the fun right out of it. You got to stay positive. You got to, um, you know, act like you won the lottery on every single solitary hunt to give these people the hunt of a lifetime. Right, and you hear the hunt of a lifetime thrown around. But at these places, these guys, they're spending big money to do it. And, and, you know, the birds are, a lot of these guys might think, hey, we're going out and we're killing wild pheasant. And it's the guide's job to make that hunt as real and authentic as possible. The experience is everything. So the conversation, the dog work, and we get back to dogs, is you have, you know, you have Josie and Kai here. I know Kai's a pheasant dog slash waterfowl dog mm-hmm. so is it easy to train a dog to do both can kai is she a stud on both of you know running and pointing and flushing pheasants to get them up in the air for a pheasant shooter at one of these preserves and lodges um to shoot at 
is she good at holding and making sure that she doesn't break on a flock of ducks coming in and working over a mojo in a dry cornfield in Minnesota? Does she, you know, can she do multiple retrieves? Can she do blinds? Can she do hand signals? Can she whistle stops and, 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 you know, and all the different marks that a dog has to do on a waterfowl hunt. Are you training most of your dogs to do both? Or does that client come in and say, this dog is going to be a pheasant dog. So you just concentrate on that or that dog, that owner will say, well, we hunt ducks, we hunt geese, we hunt pheasant. Mm -hmm. And now you got to work on all of that. Are you seeing a a little bit of all that? Um, You know, in my my training packages, I train for both just because you never know that guy, you know, might only be a pheasant hunter, but then his buddy calls him up and says, Hey, I got a really good spot to go, to go duck hunting. Let's, let's take your dog out and go, or this way he doesn't have to say, well, no, my dog wasn't trained for it. Um, and then back to the Kai thing, um, you know, Kai, I got really lucky with her. She's, she's, uh, she's awesome. And, uh, she's trained for both. Like I said, I train all my personal dogs for both. Um, but yes, it is tough. You can't, you know, you don't want to go out pheasant hunting for three days in a row. And then the next day jump right into, um, a, a dry field or a, a pond or anything to go waterfall hunting. Um, as the dogs get older, they catch on, but a young pup, you know, you want to stop, take a break and then go rework on steady drills just to let them know that, Hey, I know we we're letting you break on a flush over there. Um, but now we're going to be sitting You need to be patient. You need to wait for us to shoot that bird. Um, so I always like to take a couple days, um, to retrain, re go over. Um, you know, even if I don't even have time to train and I'm going to go right from the pheasant hunting field, right to the waterfall field um i'll just set my gun down and just run the dog just uh hey don't break you know i just keep my eye on the on the dog the whole time i don't i don't watch the flock of birds i don't do anything just for the first first few flocks just so i know that my dog is going to do her job even though because she's just pheasant hunting um but when i take her into the waterfall scenario that way i know she's going to be good i'll get the corrections in because that's how dogs learn is from making the mistakes just like we do so would you're saying that you do both just no matter what like as a trainer, don't you want to find out what that dog's going to be doing? Like if I brought you a dog and you don't know me and then you just say, I'm going to, you know, train him for pheasant and ducks. And then I bring him back here and all he ever does is duck hunt on dry land and in water, mm-hmm. in boats, out of boats, on whatever kind of body of water it is. Didn't you waste a lot of time? training him for a pheasant or is that going to help him in the long run of using his nose and finding down ducks down geese that might not have fell within the decoys right so every customer that comes in you know i ask them you know what what do you mainly hunt for because that's what i'm mainly going to focus on um you know so if we're having a day where we're busy or we're we're we were focused more on the force fetching or something like that, but we need to go shoot birds or I would go do water if they're a waterfall hunter. Um, so depending on where we're at with the training and everything, you know, I would just focus more on what they want with the dog. Um, but I still want to train them for both. So they have it. Um, and then, you know, the biggest thing is for, if you're having the waterfall dog or the upland dog, you know, the biggest thing is, um, getting that dog. So they know what, what they're doing, what their, what their job is and, um, getting them to proceed in that drill. So what I'm trying to get at is, um, having the, when the customers come in and what they want with that dog, you know, I'm like I said, I'm going to ask them what they want. Um, but then when they come to do their out or their, when they're taking that dog home with them, we're going to spend a lot more time in the water. If they're a waterfall dog or if they're an upland dog, then we'll spend more time in the upland. So that, so pretty much you're going to train a dog, your style. And then at the very end, you're going to give him, you're going to give the owner the ability to make that decision. Like if you're going to waterfowl hunt, he's ready for it. If you're going to pheasant hunt, he's ready for that. Yep. I mean, I'm not saying that they're hundred percent ready. You know, they need 
I, I get the dogs trained so they're delivered to hand, steady to shot, steady to bullet, steady to blinds, quarter and ranging in the field. We do all that in the training program, but they just don't have 100% experience yet. So that's why when you take my hunting, I, I always suggest to everybody to go do a game farm. You know, and don't, don't go out to hunt for yourself just yet with that young dog. Go out to a game farm, go hunt some short cover, put some birds nice and close together, make it super, super easy for the first couple of hunts. Um, just so that dog builds that confidence in you and that dog is at a new place, new location, new people running it, other smells, sounds, everything, just to get that dog's confidence built a little bit more. So when you get a, when you have a dog like um, a, a puppy, let's say that a dog, uh, uh, owner calls you and says, hey, I'm looking for a great black lab. You say, oh, I know this litter that's getting ready to be born. Um, they're going to be born in February. They're going to be ready to start training, you know, at eight weeks. We'll get them in around April and we'll start training them. You know, the deposit's this and that dog's born. How long does that puppy have to stay with its mom on the teat? How long does that puppy stay with its litter? Um, so, well, it's supposed to be eight weeks, but a lot of, a lot of times I'll get rid of them at seven weeks, but at least minimum seven of weeks, they need to be with their mom, um, or with the litter, I should say. Um, but usually after like, I think it's four or five weeks, they start to pull them away from the mom and then start to feed dry food. Really? Mm. That early, huh? Yep. And then, um, you know, it's, it's not a dry dog food. They usually wet it down a little bit and then work their way to, to dry food. And then you have mom there too. If one dog's not eating good or anything like that, you can go back in there but you want to get mom away as you know quicker than he possibly can. so that owner knows that that dog's born he knows that he's coming off the tee at seven or eight weeks he's going to andrew now before he goes to you isn't would it not be important for that dog to go spend time with the owner oh, the yeah. family right then before he starts his actual training to be in their in their care hearing their voices smelling their house knowing that hey this is my family and then or is it better just to let him go straight to training and then be introduced to his family way down the road so he doesn't get used to the family then leaves for training does that confuse the puppy how does that work is it do you do you work it both ways or would you rather that dog come off of that mom and then go to the owner for a while before it comes mm -hmm. to you or how does that work no I, I would rather have the dog go home to its family first so it knows where home's at where how to get that dog potty trained in that home um, socialization with the kids the family the neighbors everything um, and then let it know that hey this is my family so that way when the dog is done with training and the parents come, they're not like, what, who are these people? What are, what are they doing here? They're, they're like, seriously, you can call any of my customers, and they are jacked to see their family when they're coming. They're so excited. It actually takes 15, 20 minutes before it even looks like I even trained the dog just till that they get fully petted from their family and everything. You know, it's, it's huge to um, go to that family so they can figure out who they're, build that confidence with that dog in that family. And what, so how long do you like it to stay with that family? Then I'm, I'm trying to figure uh, out the process. Okay, so, so yeah. So what, what we do is, um, you know, the, the people get the dog at eight, eight weeks of age, um, and then they take it home with them. Um, at five months of age, the dogs, five to six, seven months of age, the dogs come back to us, and um, we, we gun break it, or we can do the shed introduction or um, – get them we can we do start a little bit of obedience um if you wanted if your dog's really bad um we i do have a little class that just starts a in, little little tiny introduce introduction to obedience um and then after that two-week training then they go back home to their owners um, and then at eight seven to nine months of age they come back in for what we call the intermediate or just basic obedience or shed hunting um, then they come back to us for anywhere from eight to 14 weeks depending on what they want with that dog when they're all done with it.
Really? So you're saying that the dog will just come to you for a couple of weeks and then go back mm-hmm. for until he's six, seven months old, seven, eight months old, and then comes back for the actual, what, mm-hmm. what you would probably call right. a training day or yep. boot, boot camp. That's when he's yeah. ready to go to school. Yep. Um, you know, and a lot of people are like, oh my God, that's, that's not a lot of time, but you know, we're just, we're doing, you know, steady to shots, steady to bullets, steady to blinds, quarter ranging in the field, all your basic obedience. Um, we're not doing any field trial hunt touch test stuff, um, where that stuff takes months on end to get that dog perfect. What, what we're doing here is we're, I'm just trying to get your, your family dog to its best ability, um, in every way that we possibly can and get that dog walking next to your side, um, coming when you called it, you know, of the dogs that I've trained, you know, hunt, but I mean, 365 days a year, that's, they're just a basic obedience dog, you know, a house dog, the dog to take to the park to go watch the kid play baseball in the summertime. And they want that dog to listen. Um, So that's kind of our main goal we focus on is just get that dog ready for a hunting season, um, but just without any experience. And are you seeing that it's important for a dog to go through the entire thing. Like if a dog comes to you as a puppy and gets acquainted with you and then goes home, gets acquainted with the family or vice versa, then comes to you for boot camp and the initial training, are you telling that owner like, Hey, you know, I'm, he's, he's seven, eight months old. Um, waterfowl season's coming up. You can take him and hunt him as much as you want. Or are you saying, look, there's a lot of things that can happen in a waterfowl season, you know, that mm-hmm. can it confuse a bird, you know. He's going to be gun trained here. He's not going to be shy of guns or scared of a gun when, when a 12-gauge or a 20-gauge goes off. But, you know, it, he might have 400 ducks in one flock come in, and he don't know what to do. He gets too excited. 20 ducks fall, depending on how many guns you got. Be careful, right? You got to yep. be careful as an owner Absolutely. when you're introducing that dog to the field. Just because he's been to training, now, the, the, it's two-sided. Not two-sided, but there's two points I want to make is, one, be careful that first season, and two, you got to get him back into training right after that waterfowl season so he can pick up where he left off with mm-hmm. you and your crew or whatever training or kennel you're using and 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 go to the next level. Like that first year was low A in the minor leagues or it might have even been high school ball, mm-hmm. junior college ball or whatever. But by no means is he a bad – a lot of these gun dogs aren't ready to be – you know, they're not considered in their prime or at the top of their no. game until they're three years old, three and a half yes, years old. Correct. You know, so – I mean, you make the derby list at two or whatever, um, and we, we can talk about that. But as far as being ready to hunt consistently and being ready for the field on a daily basis, I would say you, you got to take your time with that dog. That's, you got to be patient, right? Oh, yeah. You got to have a lot of patience, right? Hands down, absolutely. So, you know, for all my waterfall hunters that I train their dogs for, I tell them, I go, you know, they're, they come in, they're all jacked up, and they go, hey, we're, we're going to North Dakota. They're just loaded up right now. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. I go, you need to... I go, if a flock of 10 come in, I go, I want two birds to drop only. And, you know, be ready to uh, throw a rock or throw, you know, go out there and help that dog. Because, you know, in, in, in a training scenario, we only can do so much. You know, I can't simulate real live ducks coming in. Um, I can't simulate real live ducks circling around the decoys for, you know, uh, you know how it is, three, four, five times, you know, to get that dog steady, to get that dog so it's not breaking, ruining that flock. Um, but then what happens, I've, I've seen it in my, my own eyes, is where, you know, we, we had a young dog one time. We were younger, we were excited, you know, and we got a flock come in, we, we dropped 10 ducks. That dog literally got out of its mud hut and, like, sat there and was just big-eyed and had no idea 
but to do. So we had to go out there and literally show it. Where then as I got a better trainer and became more experienced, and I just, out of that 10 flock that came in, I shot two. That dog knew exactly, you know, we, I needed a little bit of help, but it was 10 times better. That dog just wasn't overwhelmed. It wasn't, you know, holy crap, what just happened? You know, it, that dog was excited to go out. It just seen the one or two birds fall, and it got success. You know, and then those dogs build from there. And I always tell all my customers, you know, your, your first couple of flocks with this new dog, I go, lay your gun down. Don't even have your gun loaded. Just run the dog. Go back to a leash if you have to, to get that dog steady. Because um, I heard of way too many bad stories of dogs breaking and somebody goes to shoot a bird on the ground and they accidentally shoot that dog. And, you know, that just kills me inside to hear that. And, um, so, you know, don't, you cannot rush a dog. Be patient. You know, the dog isn't going to be good its first year. It's going to be a little bit better its second year. And then that third year is when it's going to come into its prime and it's going to be that hunting dog that you've been hoping for for since you got the puppy. So then when when you have that dog in the boot camp, he's went home, he comes back, he's getting ready to start his his uh, initial training for gun dog work. He's done some obedience. He's going to continue to learn obedience mm-hmm. and manners. And, you know, that's very important in a dog. You don't want some dog running around the house thinking he owns it, knocking over your kids, licking on everything, chewing on everything, biting. You know, in you, uh, one of these powerful labs, they'll take a knee out, you know. they'll You're going to get an ACL, yep. you know, torn or a surgery to repair it. When do you know is, do you know within that first couple months or first couple weeks of that, when he's seven, eight months, is that when you know, I need to make a phone call to this owner and say, look, this dog, you either need to trade him in, you need to upgrade, you need to make him a pet. But as far as being a gun dog and being something that you're going to want to take the time and the money to put into the field, you know, that's like saying, hey, man, your your kid's not good enough to make the all-star team. He can still play, but he's not going to go, he's not going to be a, good enough to go to the next level. Right. You do these owners listen to you and say okay man i appreciate that it hurts their feelings for a little bit Mm -hmm. but they respect your opinion they're like all right let's get a new dog this one's going to be a house pet as far as our hunting dog we're going after a different bloodline a different litter what when do you make that call um you know usually for that two-week burning gun introduction um you know a lot of times within the first week i know like hey this thing's going to be a powerhouse or hey this thing's not gonna you know be it be um up to the power um so what i do then is i try to make that call in that program um and i just i just tell the i'm, I'm honest I, if you ask any of my customers i'm a straightforward person i don't like to sugarcoat anything i i tell people the honest truth and um you know i just tell them that hey this you know this dog isn't going to be that hard driving everything you know but what's cool about being a trainer is we have you know every trainer out there there's so many different tricks you can do um, to get that dog to pick up a bird to pick up a dummy um, so a lot of the times you can get a dog you know is it going to be go out into the pheasant hunting field and be a powerhouse and retrieve every single solitary pheasant no but at least you can get that dog to go out to that field with its owner just to at least have somewhat of a smile on that owner's face to to get you know be able to bring that dog out hunting because like nobody these days will get a dog you know, 99% of people won't get a dog and say, okay, this one, this one's out the door, let's get a new one. You know, they, you get attached to these dogs. Or, you know, back in the day, it used to be where dogs were out in the kennel. You know, you never heard of a dog in the house. Nowadays, you barely ever hear of a dog out in the kennel. It, they're all in the house now. You know, like me, I got three full labs in my house. So what do you do if you have a dog that sheds? I use a vacuum. <laughs> really so you don't care the hair getting all over you your just, house you just get used to it you know they they're a part of the family like obviously yes it stinks having the hair all over the place but there's nothing how many times are you giving them a bath um i usually do about once a month 
Per dog? Yeah. No. Yeah, usually. Are you once, serious? Once I, maybe, depending on the year. So, like, if it's the spring of the year and it's muddy, you know, obviously I just let it go. But what about the, the, the sweat and the body odor and, the, and, the, and all that? I mean, you want that in your house? I mean, it seems to me like <laughs> they're part of the family. If they're part of the family, you're letting your kid right. go a month before a bath? Right. Hell no. Andrew. Be for real right now. You like you don't. You have dogs staying in your house. It yep. seems to me like you would want to bathe them and bathe them and bathe them. You don't have to with a dog. No, I honestly I don't. It's probably once a month. You know, obviously once they start stinking good, then yeah, it's time for a bath. But um, you know, I don't. It's weird for me because living people that live with dogs know they get you get used to that smell where you do you don't you don't smell it. Um, well, like my mom for instance, she she's a clean freak. So when she comes to my house, she goes, "Oh my god, this place is a disaster." It, it, you know, you can smell dog in here. Where me and my roommate or whatever were, you're 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 immune to it. My sister's house is the same way. Um, you know, everybody else you go to, you know, you just. It, I don't know. You must get immune to it or anything, but you know they're part of a family. Like when I'm when I'm sitting at home watching watching TV, you know I got Kai and Josie. They're laying right on my lap, laying right next to me on the couch, you know. And that's just me saying, hey, thanks for driving hundred day. Thanks for pushing yourselves. Thanks for you know retrieving all of those ducks for me, mucking through that water so I didn't have to do it, um, you know, and just building that bond and having that partnership. So when you're when you're you're living with the dog you're talking about your own dogs or mm -hmm. do you bring clients dogs into the no, house just too? just my dogs yep um you what know, kind of dogs do you have personally um i have all labs black and yellow labs um you know that's that's just kind of what i was born and raised with so that's what what i like everybody has their own preference um but i got uh we got one male named gage um he's a yellow lab male and then we got kai she's a yellow lab female and we got josie um josie's a black lab female uh, josie's still in the in the training she's uh she's a year old she's still pretty young and we're still still working on her she was a little bit of a slower learner at first um because um she was uh, a little bit of a softer i shouldn't say slower learner but she was a softer dog where she um she couldn't take a lot of pressure or anything like that so i had to really be careful and really teach her really show her you can't really mean by like a soft dog like they can't you know you can't raise your voice too loud or They'll, they'll kind of quiver the ground so I got to stay really positive really you know excited with her to get her trained and then now that she's been through that training she realizes hey this isn't bad at all now we'll be able to you know get her through some hand signals and stuff like that this following summer so what when you're talking about um you know that now we're back to the dog and the training he's in boot camp you didn't have to make that call to the owner mm -hmm. so he's goes through he's seven or eight months old how long is this next session of training now that where you're obviously paid by the month the client yep. brings you a dog and you get you supply the food the safety the the lodging um the vet will have to come in you you got to have mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of things that goes with owning a dog it's like having a kid almost so you have to you know you have to do, say all right for the next is it a six-month program is it a nine-month program how long do you want to see a dog stay at wild acre before you're like hey i'm done with this dog mm -hmm. I, you don't do the hunt test and no. stuff right no so when you go to, when you go to a hunt test like brad and stuff so brad probably has different programs too but you know if you're doing a field trial dog i mean that's months on end you know that's four five six months where I do it, you know, just your your basic hunting dog, your your dog that's going to hunt maybe every week and maybe every other weekend. Um, so I do, you know, if you want a waterfall dog, it, that's a 10-week course. Um, and then we get that dog delivery to hand, steady to shot, steady bullets, steady blinds, like I said before, quarter ranging in the field. 
Um, and, um, but they don't have, you know, we go out, we shoot birds, we go do watermarks with ducks, um, real live ducks. We, we do everything we can in that time frame. Um, but then, and then it's kind of on the owner to get that experience for that dog then. So we get all the training done and then we sit down and we explain, okay, now you need to experience that dog and show them the real wild scenarios. And that's what we sit down and show the customer. So that way, when they go out into the wild scenario, um, they know exactly what to do with that dog. So is dog training an, an easy trait to where everybody that calls themselves a dog trainer, a pro dog trainer, like you give me your money and I'm going to make your dog good. How do you go about finding the right one? It sounds to me like I'm, I'm listening to you talk and there's a lot of things that are similar to a lot of the other mm-hmm. dog trainers that I talk to. How do I know to bring a dog to Wild Acres? Is it word of mouth? Do I go to, and look for a testimonial from another, another customer? Do I go try to find a, a dog that you've trained and, and see how well he does? Um, how does a guy or a girl or a dog owner, somebody that wants to get into this world of owning a, a, a strong duck dog, goose dog, pheasant dog, how do they know which trainer to use? Even if there's five trainers in their local area and they know they're going to stay local, mm-hmm. how do you go about picking that trainer? Right. Um, a lot of it is word of mouth. You know, hey, um, Andrew Wild Edgar trained, trained my dog this past summer and we are just tickled pink with it. You know, that's, that's a huge, I mean, that's the best advertisement you can get. Um, a lot of it is pricing. You know, um, not for your field trial people. Your field trial people are going to wait for that word of mouth. I, I believe I could be wrong, but I, they want they're going to spend the money. You know, field trial dogs a lot more money. So they're going to they're going to wait, be patient, spend that money with the trainer that they've seen in action um, where where me, you know, a lot of it is they just I mean, honestly, a lot of them are just looking for that basic obedience. And then hunting is just a, a plus. Um, so, you know, they're going to, they're going to look at pricing, um, and then hopefully word of mouth, you know, and then when you go on, you know, our Facebook and everything, you know, hopefully you have all good reviews and, you know, a lot of my customers have written, um, you know, how their experience was at Wild Acre Kennels and that's, that huge and helps me out tremendously. So you think word of mouth is the main thing. So the more dogs you train and you get happy customers, if a guy calls you and says, Hey, I'm thinking about getting my dog trained, um, you know, I'm just looking for the right kennel. Do they call you and say that? Do they say, Hey, what do you have to offer? Or do they call you and say, Hey, look, my buddy had a dog. I got a new dog. You said that you're the guy to bring it to, or what are you seeing right. more of? Um, you know, so the people kind of back up to your last question too, but the people that are calling that they're just starting from scratch. They, they seen you online. They have no idea who you are. You know, like when, when you're trying to, I should say, sell dog training, you know, I guess what really, really helps me out is I'm so passionate about it and love it. And even, you know, this past couple of days that we were here, you know, Clay keeps on yelling at me to, hey, quiet down, quiet down. You're getting too involved. And, um, you know, like when I start talking about dogs, you know, I can go on for hours and hours and hours and my, my voice will get really, really loud. and I get really, really excited and I just just love every minute of it you know and people i think catch on to that and go hey like this guy is just you know everybody when i end up on a phone call with somebody they go you know the reason why i'm going to choose you is because you can just tell that you're driven you're i mean this is your passion this is your livelihood um and, and they're absolutely correct you know that's um you know what a lot of people don't know is uh, owning a dog training business is um, when you're a small guy like me um that's it's seven days a week you know you gotta be you gotta it's just like owning a farm you gotta feed those dogs walk those dogs let those dogs out you know you can't leave them sitting in the kennel all the time um so you got to give them exercise and then train them and everything else so it's like owning a farm it's it's seven days a week um you know and you just got to have that passion in that voice i get a lot of calls saying hey i talked to so and so and um you know they're like just 
kind of seemed like they're mad that I was calling them, you know, and that's that's not the way I'll ever run my business. I'm going to take, I don't care if it's a, a poodle or a, a master hunter dog, I'm going to treat every dog the same and I'm going to be excited to train both of them. Uh, do you do you think that a, a person that brings his dog to a kennel and it's based on word of mouth, are they looking, I, I guess that there would be different level of customers, like the the some of the people I know, man, they, they want the dog that just does it all. Mm. Are most customers looking for just a dog that can pick up a duck or are they taking the time to learn the handling, learning the hand drills, the hand signals, the whistles, the everything that goes into having a high powered dog that, you know, you can do a five, six, seven, 800 yard blind mm -hmm. with. Um, and it happens in duck hunting. You know, you see a bird wiggle, 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 and then fall. You light, might lung him and he might fall, you know, yep. 800 yards out there. It happens all the time. Everybody can say, we, we, we honestly shoot the best ammo in the world. Black cloud, it absolutely is devastating to birds and uh, ducks and geese. But it doesn't mean that we don't get caught birds caught in the crossfire. It doesn't mean that we got somebody that doesn't hit them in the vitals and they, we get a cripple. It doesn't matter. Yes, mm -hmm. we use awesome ammo, but there's always going to be cripples no oh, matter what you hear. Down. I don't, when I hear people say you hit them, they're dead. Well, yeah, of course, you know, especially if you get them tight and you, and you get them over the decoys, your, your chance of a, a, a good harvestable ethical shot are raised, but you're still going to have cripples. Mm -hmm. So are most of these customers today, um, are they into the high power dog? It might not necessarily need to be titled. It might not ever make the derby list. It might not qualify all ages. It might not be an AKC mm -hmm. champion. It might not be a field trial champion or a hunt test champion, but are, do they want some dog, a dog that is high powered enough to do the 800 yard blind with hand signals? Are most of your clients wanting that? Or are they just happy that, 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 uh, what's a good dog name? Fido is going out and picking up a mallard and bringing it back. Mm -hmm. Um, even if he breaks once in a while, or are they like, man, I can't have my dog breaking. I want to make sure that this dog is dead nuts on all of the time. Right. You know, 90% of the customers are just cool guys, just like me and you. You know, they understand that they're not, they might not have the best dog. Um, they understand everything. And at the end of the day, like I was saying before with Kai and Josie, they have that bond with their dog. So no matter what happens, they're still going to love that dog the same. Um, but yeah, there is a lot of customers that come in and it's funny because they want, you know, all of the guys want that dog trained through everything, you know, from bird and gun to intermediate to advanced hand signals. Um, but when it comes time to the advanced hand signals, you know, a lot of times the, the wives come in and put a kibosh to that because they, they're like, no way is the dog going to be gone for, for training that much longer. You know, they get so attached to these dogs. Um, but you know, on, on average, you know, I train, you know, probably 10 handling dogs a year, um, in, in the summer times. Um, so, you know, that's pretty good for being as small as I am. Um, but I, I kind of work with the people too. So, you know, if it comes to a weekend, you know, and I know it's a long time for being away from home. So I'll tell them like, Hey, I know you guys haven't seen your dog in a while. Why don't you just come pick it up for the weekend, you know, take it home with you for the weekend. And then we'll just come back on the following Monday and I'll just get right back into training. Um, so I try to work with people as much as I can, because I understand what it's like to be away from your dog. Um, you know, I just had my boy scout pass away this, just a couple months ago. And that was one of the hardest things I ever had to go through. And I'm um, so yeah, but your dog died, your dog dying. I know there's a bomb, but your yeah. dog dying and spending an extra month, making sure that he is an absolute badass. you know, that husband or that wife who's ever, you know, you know, <laughs> saying, Hey, we, you can't have the dog. That dog is going to live, you know, 
13, yep. 12, 13, 14 years, you're going to have a long time. He's going to be in his prime and hunting probably till he's nine or 10. Right. A lot of people say, you know, when they turn seven or eight, we're going to get a new dog started mm-hmm. and get him ready to come back him up because, you know, they're, they're getting old, you know, eight years old in dog years is, is how many in human years? That's 56 Six, or, yep. you know, it's time to retire almost. So mm-hmm. a lot of these dogs will hunt till they're 10 or 11 those, you yep. know, depending on how often you hunt. So I would say, man, chill out. Right. Wife wifey right chill out husband you know let's let him stay in there another 60 days and let's let him be legit to where Mm -hmm. when we do go hunting we know that he's going to be able to perform at every level again he might not need to be a a champion but if he comes from good bloodlines and he comes Mm -hmm. from a good breeding and a good litter then man let that dog reach its full potential again it doesn't mean he needs to have ribbons Mm -hmm. but as far i i am so biased now of a dog to where you got to throw rocks out there to know them where the birds are, mm-hmm. or you got to, you know, and it happens. I right. get it. I'm not saying that that, that you can't hunt that way, but if you get around a dog that you can stop on the dime with a whistle and he turns around and looks at you and you cast him to mm-hmm. the right and back and he goes, and then you whistle him again and he might take two or three handles there. Boom. It's the coolest thing in the world. It's the coolest thing in the world <laughs> to see. And then he comes back with a mouthful yep. of feathers, whether it's a mallard or a goose or speck, whatever. I don't right. care. That is hunting. And the dog, when that, a dog can add that part of it to the hunt, you're just like, holy smokes, this is amazing. You get in the flooded timber of Arkansas and you hunt with a good dog like Brandon's Blue or Marty's Timber. You know, I know I've been around a lot of good dogs down there. We had Mo in there with Brad last year and Christian Curtis and, and you see what they can do because those ducks come in and you might have four or five guns and you kill them and those ducks are dropping. They're behind logs. They're behind stumps. There might be a cripple that's swimming and he, you lose the visual so Mm -hmm. much. You got to be able to cast that dog to the point to where the last spot you saw that duck. Mm -hmm. And then he gets over there, he starts smelling and you cast him again that duck might dive and you as a as the cat as the handler you see that duck pop up or you see ripples to where his tail feathers are swimming away you can cast that dog the next thing you know here comes mo here comes axel here comes blue here comes timber back with a green-headed mallard duck mm-hmm. in the timber and you're like we would have never ever with our fat asses never been able to it. run that duck down never and that duck is crippled and he's going to live in those woods until they go dry and then he's going to get eaten by a hawk or a coyote or something mm-hmm. That's the saddest thing in the world for a crippled duck to be out there with nothing, nowhere. He can't fly out of those trees to get to the rice right. and eat, you know? He's going to starve to death or whatever. That's the ethics of a duck dog. Yep, absolutely. So you've got to let that dog reach its potential. You know, I, I um, just uh, the other day I had a, a family that came in and they said, hey, you know, we're going to, this two weeks is going to be tough, you know, without our dog. And then they go, just to, to shorten it up, we're just going to do the basic obedience. We, we don't hunt much, you know, maybe three times a year. Um, but we just want to be a let her go run around at least when we go out hunting and not have her scared. Well, I did the, the two-week bird and gun introduction, and I literally called that family up and I said, I'm not trying to um, spend your money or anything, but this dog you got here is somebody that hunts every single solitary weekend will die for i mean this dog is a stud and um just loves birds loves shotguns i mean just 100 percent drive so i call the family i'm like you guys should you know you got kids growing up i'm like get more into the outdoors get you know you have a great dog here like why i go i feel like i'm wasting it and um so he went home and he talked to the wife and they actually ended up keeping the dog in for the further long training and um they at the end they're like you know, even that we're not hunting, but now we got this force fetching. So when we're throwing a dummy in the backyard. We're, we still, that dog will bring it right back to us every single tar- solitary time. We don't have to chase it around or anything. And, you know, that was just so cool to me because I was like, please don't waste. I'm like, if anything, I'm going to come get this dog in the hunting season and hunt it for you because, I mean, this dog was awesome. I didn't want it to see it, this potential go to waste. It was. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, and maybe, you know, 
it's not going to go to waste if he doesn't become that high powered. But man, I just think that if somebody is in the blind and they see a dog doing what a dog is in my mind, again, mm-hmm. I'm biased, but a dog, a duck dog, what a duck dog is supposed to do and what a duck dog is supposed to be like. I'm not saying that a pointer is not cool. I'm not saying that chucker hunting in the rim rocks in Nevada or Montana and seeing a pointer run up and, and go on point. That's awesome. All, just sporting dogs are yeah. awesome and then when you mix in the 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 tradition and the heritage of waterfowl hunting and how important dogs have been to the the culture of waterfowl hunting for since it's a you know since it was born mm-hmm. it originated i mean it's just one of those things when you see it done right and you don't have to yell at that dog or get mad at that dog or tell that dog to to do anything really they're just they're not a robot they still have a personality they're still a lovable Mm -hmm. character but i mean my dog is i'm like you he's on at the foot of my bed he's in the back seat he's getting the leather seats wet he's uh, you know people are like that's disrespectful to your truck no we clean it out we're not scums right we're not lazy asses but that dog has just worked his ass off he's going to get treated well we'll put him in the kennel well you can do that there's there's a lot of safe kennels out there now that are that are indestructible pretty much Mm -hmm. and I'm, what I'm saying is that that I like having that dog around. He he makes me feel cool. He makes me feel like a better person. Mm-hmm. He makes me feel like I'm a better duck hunter. He's just part of it. And and I think that your busy life gets you, you know, and you're working and you got family and and, and it's the off season. You know, it's not it's not a bad thing to put that dog back in training so he's active. He's learning every single day. Go and visit him once in a while. You bring him home on the weekends, whatever mm-hmm. it is stay you know keep that dog a part of your life and that's what duck hunters do man those dogs become like their best friends you know they're you know like what you just said when you lost scout it's devastating Mm -hmm. and that's to me it's like if you see it done right one time and i've seen brad you know i just met you this year but i saw brad this well 2018 but i've known brad five years now and i've seen his dogs do things that you're just like Holy shit. And then right. I hear, and then their owners see their dogs and we had this this chocolate named Rufus on the show one year and and we were in uh we were in North Dakota, I believe. Yeah, North Dakota. And we were on a corn dry cornfield and we had mallards in Canada geese combo hunt. And there was a six, seven hundred yard blind that that Brad did. And one of the side cameras, we were we were catching the dog with the man cameras. And one of the side cameras caught Brad and what he was doing with his casting and his whistles and all of that. And the way that it came together, you're just like, holy shit, that was meant to be because that, it was amazing. And I'm like, I, I, I've always hated chocolate labs. I can't stand chocolate labs. <laughs> and I watch Rufus and I'm like, man, I love chocolate labs. This is a good <laughs> chocolate lab because I didn't know there was a such thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds rude, but you know, I love blacks and I love yellows in second place, but Rufus, this chocolate lab was an absolute stud. And I, and when I saw Brad handle him the way he did and cast him the way he did and it all come together and him come back with that bird, you don't know as a human being, you might think you can get to that cripple way over there. You got a mark, right? You, he, he went down and then you get over there and you're like, this looks nothing like it did when I was way back at the blind. So you turn around and you got all your goon hunting buddies, you know, acting like you're a dog and they're whistle stopping you and they're casting you. And now you're trying to run down a crippled wild animal with your vision is all you're hoping that you see movement in the bushes. You're hoping that you see him laying there, that he ran out of air or he can't move anywhere. That duck's too hurt to move or his lungs ran out of air and you can get to him. If he's just winged, he can move. That duck can keep walking. He can put his head down. He could get into a, you know, into a corn row and get behind some corn. Dive. He could get, he could if get in a water and dive. 
that dog is going to find him. And when he brings him back, you're just like, that is the way it's supposed it's to be the done. Coolest thing in the world. So I really, I truly, people hear me talk about dogs and I get around them and they see my attitude change when it's a shitty dog. And, and I, I hope that they're not like mad at me. They should be mad at themselves because they have a shitty dog. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds arrogant, but, and I'm not saying every dog is, but you know who they are. Mm -hmm. You get around a dog that doesn't hunt right. You're just like, uh, uh, what, what are we doing here? Right. And it's, it's frustrating. I've run out of patience quick. Right. I don't want to sound like I'm coming off as the end all to, I've been around every good dog, but I've been around enough to know that training is important. Mm -hmm. I'm not a dog trainer. I don't think I'm qualified to do it. I can go and learn your tips of the week that you do on the foul life or that Brad does on the foul life, or you guys do on our YouTube channels and your websites respectfully, but I'm not a dog trainer. I'm not putting in the time enough. You got to put in time daily. It's it's yep. nonstop work. It's boot camp. And my and my brother Clay, he's a hell of a dog trainer. You know, is yeah. a, is a weekend warrior. He's he's done some good things, but he's nowhere near qualified to put a dog out in the field that's a stud. You know, his other dog Pistol went to Brad, and I know that we've had some conversations on where Waylon's going to go. Mm -hmm. And I I think that you can get a dog so far, but then you got to give him to a qualified trainer that gets it mm -hmm. and can get that dog to the next level. So. You know, it's it's always nerve wracking to talk about dogs mm -hmm. around people because you remember Phil Roberts and the Duck Commander back in the day. You just you just never talk about a man's dog. You come down to the South or in Louisiana and talk about a man's dog, that'll get you killed, mm -hmm. and it could. But if he's a shitty dog, then you should be able to say, "Look, dude, you know, get the dog in training. We don't need him whining. We don't need him breaking." We don't need him going out there where we need to throw shotgun holes and rocks for him to get the duck. Now, some people might come at me and go, you're an asshole. You, there's a, you, every, it's for each their own. And I'm like, I get that. But just see it done right one time. Mm -hmm. Go with somebody that's got a dog that is on it, like that you don't have to get out of the blind barely. I'm not saying you're never going to have to. But a good dog, you know it very well, Andrew, right. that you can stand up out of your ground blind or stand up on the platform of a box blind or something or get up out of a pit blind in a rice check in Arkansas or California, wherever, and cast that dog one time and he's on it. And it's fun to do. Fun? It's, it's so awesome. much fun to handle him. It's, it's unbelievable. And I then you it. look out there at six, 700 yards and see that water running with, you know, that dog running through the water yeah. and it's splashing up. And then all of a sudden, oh, look at that duck's trying to get away from him. And then you know what happens. Yeah. Everybody in the blind's like, oh, he got him. Yeah, yeah. good and retrieve. Then, then you're going, that's my dog. And it's just the coolest thing in the so world. Prideful. You know, so prideful. And a lot of people are saying, like you're saying that the some dogs are shitty. But if you think about it, a lot of it is, you know, some dogs that people have have so much talent, they just don't know about it. You know, but but going to that trainer, that trainer gets that talent out of them, and that's going to get you that awesome dog. Um, and uh, you know, by a lot of people come to the trainers and go, you know, good luck with with this dog. And um, I, I actually like it when I hear that because that means that the dog's out of control. It's wild. It's crazy. It's you know, it's running away with the retrieves it's doing everything and um you know i i personally like that because i can you can always tone down a dog but you can never um put the the drive into them um so i, I like that crazy i like that wild i like that everything but if you ever you know have a dog that's just crazy out of control or or anything you're just you don't don't know what to do instead of leaving it in a kennel or leaving it at home you know because you don't want to go deal with it when you go out hunting call a trainer you know ask for tips you know that's how we do these tips on the fall life or you know youtube or anything is to try to help you guys out as much as we possibly can to so you you can train your dog on your own because we understand a lot of people can't afford it um you know or talk to your trainer you know they might work with you to help you out um you know 
anything um, or put in some overtime or work, you know, extra. Just once you have a trained dog, I can't stress. I'm not saying that because I am a trainer, but once you have a trained dog, you know, you're you're never going to have another one that's not trained because it's just you can go out to the field and you're going to be confident and you, you're going to bring your dog where a lot of people are like, nah, I'm just not going to bring Ozzy today because Ozzy was, you know, last time he did absolutely terrible and I screamed at him the whole time. You know, but once you have that trained dog, I mean, you'll never enter a field without him again. I agree 100%. And I think that duck hunting is so such an awesome lifestyle that duck hunters are really – I don't want I don't like bringing ego into it there is ego and everything in life and duck hunting has a lot of ego involved in it because I'm the best shot I got the best boat I got the best truck I got the best dog I'm the best duck caller you know all that so I got a new Benelli I got this whatever it all comes down to the experience and the lifestyle and the humbling and the non-entitlement that you have as a hunter and the more pieces of that puzzle that you can put in and and let them come together and fit together yeah, I told people a lot of times becoming a good boat driver was very important to me. I'm still not anywhere near, you know, comparable to the guys down that that I run with in Arkansas or, or Louisiana or some of the other places, but I'm getting better. Mm-hmm. I'm better shotgunner. I sucked at duck calling when I first started. I'm probably average now if you go down to Arkansas and hear <laughs> these guys call. Shotgunning, I feel I can kill ducks when they come in when they're 15 yards if we get them right. And mm-hmm. I don't call the shot when they're further than that. So my chances or my odds of killing them and looking like I'm a good shot are pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then you got the processing, the butchering, using a knife, cutting the meat out, cooking it, serving it, getting that part of it done. Um, learning how to cook it. <laughs> learning how to hide the concealment, the scouting, the networking, the talking to landowners, finding the hunt, getting on a hunt. There's so many awesome pieces of this puzzle that go together. It's unbelievable. So why not make that dog that much more important? A dog is already a very important thing because he's a living, breathing animal. Yep. And he's one of your friends. He's man's best friend. So I don't get the, the there's no argument to me. Like, get it done right. Mm-hmm. You can train him yourself, but if you're going to train him yourself, make sure that you get him to the point to where He's going to be able to do the things that a duck dog does and go with somebody that has a high-powered duck dog. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's genetics that he can't get all the way there, but you can get him close. I've seen, There's dogs that don't come from the best bloodlines or the best litters in the world that have that are awesome hunting dogs. They might not be worth a whole lot of money, and they might not be able to breed and, and, and bring a bunch of money for the puppies. That doesn't matter. They can still learn how to be a stud hunter. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I trained a, a, this a golden doodle. Um, what was it uh, last summer? Um, for the guy wanted wanted a bird hunting, and um, man, once I got that dog trained, it was probably one of the better ones I've ever done. That thing was on fire. You know, just because they got a retrieving one, it was younger. You know, so it loved to retrieve. And um, then when we introduced birds, you know, it took a couple of days for it to like figure out like, well, what's this smell? This is weird. But once it picked it up, like, oh my god, this is the funnest thing in the world. And then we just kept rolling with the training. And I mean, this dog turned out to be a pretty sweet dog. Now, will it win a field trial? Absolutely not. You know, but this dog will go out with that that owner and and flush a bird and retrieve it back to him, muck through the water to get it to him. And, you know, that guy didn't expect one ounce that is going to be a hunting dog because of its breed. And um, we got it to to do everything that that owner wanted. And it was the coolest thing in the world. So when it comes to labs, what is the best color to have? (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, colors don't mean nothing. Um, they don't? No. 
No, not to me. No, um, come on. No, I uh, I own everything except the chocolate lab. Um, you know, a black is so chocolates aren't good. What's that? No, I just no don't have one yet. Are chocolates good, Andrew? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen a lot of good chocolates. A lot. Mm-hmm. How, what's a lot? I don't know. Probably sixty-seven. I have no idea. Sixty or seven or sixty or seventy. Sixty or seventy. You've seen sixty or seventy badass yeah. chocolates. Yeah, I've seen really hundreds. You know, yellows, black chocolates, everything. Like color doesn't matter to me, male or female. You know, I get that question a lot too. Like, you know, do I get a male or do I get a female? You know, I've owned both, and honestly, they both have their pros and cons. Um, but I just I like labs because you know they're an all-around dog. They'll lay with you on the couch. They'll go retrieve my duck. They'll retrieve my pheasant and um you know every single solitary day when i walk through my door it doesn't matter if i was having a bad day or the greatest day doesn't matter where i'm at in life as soon as i walk through the door they're extremely happy to see me and that's just the greatest feeling in the world so you're not going to tell me what your favorite color lab is no i don't have one really that's serious so if you went to pick one right now you wouldn't go off oh so if i were to pick one right now you know i am more of a yellow guy i do like my yellow labs um, cause to me, that's just kind of what I've always wanted since I was a little kid. Um, kind of like, uh, um, just a guy I idolized when I was growing up, you know, he's at a, 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 a yellow lab and, you know, I just, for some reason just stuck with me and that was cool to me. And that's kind of my favorite. Um, but for talent wise, you know, a color to me isn't going to really change much. Really? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what about size? When I look at your dogs, you have some pretty <laughs> they're small midgets. dogs. Like, I mean, they're not, they're yeah. barely 50 pounds. Right. Huh? And you know, that, that had nothing to do with me picking or choosing. Um, you know, when you get them at eight weeks of age, you have no idea, you know, the mom was 60 pounds and the dad was, you know, the mom was 58 and the dad was 64, you know, of Kai. And, um, you know, I hadn't, we just got her and, you know, she just never grew up. But, uh, you seen her this past fall retrieving the geese. She did struggle a little bit, but she's catching on. She's only a year and a half. Um, and then Josie, same thing. Her mom, uh, Josie's mom is actually 74 pounds. And, um, you know, and then her dad was like 63 or something. And, uh, Josie's 52 pounds and she's, uh, I don't know why i I always laugh and tell people I must have something in the water at my house, but uh, just stunts their growth. But yeah, I got two, two midgets. But then Gage that you hunted with this past fall, uh, you know, he's he's sixty five pounds. He's a stud. I mean, sixty five is average, probably. I mean, I yeah, see, I've been around seventy, eighty pound labs, and you can get them yep. too big. But fifty, I mean, you're not going out and picking up a big Canada fourteen pound no. honker with a fifty pound dog, they, are you? They won't like pick it up. Well, you've seen it with Kai, but they don't like pick it up. Um, and carry it, you know, manhandle like, like a mallard, you know, like Kai, what she does is picks it up and runs backwards with it and brings it back to me. And I guess for me, I don't, you know, as long as you get it back to me, that's all I care. But, you know, you can, you can use that, the dock and deadfall trainer. That's a huge tool. You know, it's like a, a full, you know, size, um, goose, you know, Canada goose, that's going to build the upper body muscles, going to build the confidence up in that dog. And, um, that's kind of a, a, a cool tool to use. And, um, my buddy has a chocolate lab that's, uh, same thing, 50 pounds. She's a smaller one, too. And uh, she'll pick up a dog, uh, a goose, just like a mallard duck. I mean, she manhandles it like it's none other. Really? Yep. It's just you got to you gotta keep shooting birds for them. Let them that dog just has to figure out where that balance point is right underneath their, that neck there. And um, once they build that confidence up and you get that upper body muscle, they'll, they'll pick it up and bring it on back to you. So size doesn't matter to you either? I, I wish they were a little bit bigger. You know, I'm not going to lie. You know, Kai and Josie, I would like them to be a little bit bigger because I, I love my goose hunting. How old is Kai? Um, she's a year and a half. Is she fully grown? Um, they say they're not fully grown until they're two years old. Um, but, you know, she's probably not going to get any taller. She's going to kind of fill out more a little bit. 
So what are you looking at from a relationship when, when you meet a guy like me and my brother and Tom and Tyson and, and our mm-hmm. crew? What were, you, what were you thinking? Like, did you know who we were when you met us? Or was this something to where it was just kind of like, hey, we naturally became friends because of our love and passion for the outdoors and the duck hunting lifestyle? Or was it something to where you were, hey, man, I've seen these guys, what they're doing. I know who Brad Arrington is. I know that you knew who Brad was mm-hmm. before I met you. Um, you've never met Brad, but yeah, I watched um, a lot of YouTube. You know, I've learned a lot off of YouTube channels of all the other different trainers. And, um, you know, Brad's a, a very good trainer. Very good. Um, but, you know, for, for meeting you guys, um, you know, I used to watch you on, on TV way back in the day when you were with Freddie Zink. Just like I was telling you the other day, you were doing the shopping cart in the middle of the field. And that's ever since that day, I'm like, this guy is cool. He's hilarious, you know. And when, when I was growing up in hunting, I always thought that you had to be quiet and you had to be you couldn't talk in the, in the layout blind. You couldn't do anything. But then once I seen you doing that shopping cart, I'm like, oh, hey, this is this is awesome. You know, and you just you just grow from there. Um, and then meeting you out at the, the hunting lodge and be able to hunt with you and everything. It, I thought I had to be perfect. I thought I had to be, you know, just this world's greatest person to be a part of your guys's crew. And um, that's not the truth. You guys are like the coolest people just normal guys that just want to talk about our passion and talk about what do we do um and just work with each other and you know we're out scouting trying to find all these birds and everything it was just like we've known each other for 10 years you know is what i felt it was it was just cool to um you know be able to grow with you guys and um you know tom is hilarious and you know clay is can do about everything from magic to playing the guitar to everything and you guys just take everybody in like you're been on the team for 10 years what what did you think of the the canvas back and being out here? Like, t- talk to me a little bit about oh, so, your voyage out here and you. Yeah, so we um well we uh, we had the voyage out here and um you know I never seen the mountains before you know being a dog trainer you're, you're kind of married to to your kennel I got lucky this these last couple of days I have uh, some employees that help me out and take care of the pups while I'm gone and some of the owners came and got their dog just to help me out and um you know I've never seen the mountains before and that was I mean if. If you guys haven't been to Nevada, come come check it out. At least come to Las Vegas or something. Um, uh. And then uh, I've never been there either yet, but at least come check out the mountains and, and see it all. And um, I know Dave, um, he was catching these trout. What kind of fish were they again? Cutthroat. Cutthroat. Right I up mean, the road here, 20 miles, I mean, Pyramid Lake. These things were huge. Look at out, look out the window of the studio right now. You yeah. see that snowstorm coming? Oh, yep. It'll be snowing on us in 11 minutes. Um, Mark my words. Sorry to interrupt you, but <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm a meteorologist when yep. I can see the clouds like that. You can see it falling. Um, and then um, then we went up to uh, this canvas back um, duck club. Um, it's kind of where you um, all these hunters come together and they put money in and um, build little houses. And, you know, with all the money that they put into it, they dig ponds and control ponds and feed the ducks and everything. And I mean, it's like, what what'd you say it was? Six or 7,000 acres? 6,700. 6,700. I mean, it is, it is crazy. And, um, you pull up there and it's, it's managed like, I mean, it's all water and it's, it's the coolest thing in the world. And, you know, as we're going there, I'm driving, I was driving up there with Tom. I'm like, there's seriously ducks come here. And he goes, yeah, this place is loaded in the fall. And, um, I'm like, where do they, where do they eat? You know, where's their food source? What are they doing? And then, you know, Dave and Chad sat me down and explained how they feed and how they do everything. And um, we, we finally pull into the cameras back and literally there was ducks everywhere. Just, you know, they're going to be roosting here. It's and, the or, oasis in the desert, yeah, right? It's, it's, you're kind of like, feel like you're up in a mountain, middle of a mountain and there's just ducks everywhere. It's cool. And then they got, uh, one of the really cool thing is, um, uh, what's that naval base called or the airspace or whatever? Where they're top gun. Top gun. Yeah, they're Fallen flying. Naval Air Force Base, but that's that's where Top Gun is in America, yeah. Yeah, they're flying these fighter jets over, and I guess they bomb right down the 
practice area and drop bombs, Dave was saying, and practice, you know, bombing everything. That's that like was, the last place our fighter pilots go before it's go time. Yeah. It's uh before it's it was, real before they're in theater and the real thing. Yeah, really, really cool experience. And uh, last night we cooked, uh, I brought some fish up from Minnesota and uh, we had some mallard duck and uh, Clay grilled us some um, steak on the Traegers and it was probably the best steak I ever made. And then Dave's duck was, I asked if I could have his recipe and he, I thought he was going to beat me to the ground. Yeah, I won't let you have it either. <laughs> he, he, won't, he won't let us have it. What about it. those oysters? You did, yeah. did you get one? I did not get the oysters. I can't believe that. Yeah. I literally told the guys... Save two of those because I know that you had to run and we get ran some. And, some. We got some lemon. We for needed the fish. lemon. We baby, need lemon baby need the lemons. What baby wants, baby gets. And uh, you know, I was like, I can't believe we didn't save. Me. I had one, but that's, that's right. called an oyster bed. That's yep. a company out of Louisiana. They're former military. They're veterans. They fought for our freedoms and just a badass brand. And we've cooked everything from quail breast, duck breast, scallops, and they're known for their oysters. But they also mm-hmm. have a steak plate. And man, it's awesome. You get them real hot in those Traegers. It's kind of like a searing method, and they cook in their own juices. And there's a little batter that these guys have come up with that you mix up and and put it on top of there. But I'm telling you, like if if you haven't used an oyster bed, you have to you have to get one because one, you're supporting a great cause. A lot of their money goes back to support the ocean and shellfish and a lot of the initiatives there in conservation. And then you know they're military. Mm-hmm. so they've you know it's good to support a military-based company and then it's just awesome and it makes again it makes it cool it makes you feel like man look at this presentation with these oysters right. on this big you saw yeah, how cool I've they look last night yeah. huh? Yeah. you yeah, just was, didn't get to eat one I just didn't get to eat one but that's all right but you like that duck dave cooked that. so we last night we had oysters elk beef mallard duck and walleye from that you brought out from minnesota mm-hmm. which is my favorite fish in the continent of the united right. states all of america i will take halibut which is an ocean fish, so it's different. But for a, a freshwater fish in the continent of the United States, any fish down here, and right. uh, perch is good, crappie's good, mm. redfish can be good, speckled trout, eh. But walleye, it's amazing. Wa- cold water walleye from Minnesota, especially like Lake of the Woods yeah, and the cold, ice. Cold water, yep. Cold water, relax, is, yep. And you know, South Dakota's good, North Dakota's good. You can get walleye in Nebraska and Lake McConaughey and those areas, maybe even some parts of eastern Colorado. And I know they're all the way down in Kansas and different waters, but, you know, they were native to, and and I can't say they were native, I don't know, but in Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota is where walleyes really are abundant to me in those cold waters. Mm-hmm. Especially during you know the ice fishing time when you can get oh, a, that's a blast. cut a hole in the ice and pull them out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a better eating all around fish though yeah. um, that you can perch, get access to. Perch are pretty good. I like perch. Um, you know, if you get into some jumbo jumbo perch, um, them are pretty good. But yeah, you can't really beat a walleye. And those fish that I brought up, you know, them are huge. <laughs> um, and then uh, with that steak, uh, what did what did Clay finish the steaks on last night? So he cooked them on the Traeger, and then he put them well, on we, this fryer, like Traeger or something. You no, we started on a, on a Pro 34 last night, mm-hmm. and you cook it until the internal temp is right around 131. And at the same time, you have a Traeger Ranger going, which is that smaller kind of a tailgate. Yep. It's yep. not the tailgater. They actually have a model called the tailgater, but this is just a little flat deal that you can set right on your tailgate or on your deck or whatever. And... Um, it's got a searing plate in it, and you can get that thing up to 480, 500 degrees. And when it comes off, we do it with tri-tips all the time, but you you can just, we call it reverse searing. Where the You know, sometimes people sear at the beginning, but Chad mm-hmm. Ward at Whiskey Bent Barbecue and Traeger taught us, you know, this reverse sear technique. So you take those steaks off at the end, and you do it with those kind of steaks we had last night. 
just a minute and a half on each side at you know 480 500 degrees yep and it reverse sears all those juices in there and gives it like that little crust on it we do it with tri-tip with tri-tip you take it off at 132 133 degrees and then you reverse sear it for three two and a half to three minutes each side mm-hmm. now i don't know if you've ever eaten tri-tip out in minnesota a lot of people like lethal often in nashville from he he's always like, i don't even know what a tri-tip yeah, is what yeah. the hell cut is that well it's it's unbelievable but um, we're going to, we're going to throw down again tonight. I haven't figured out what the menu is tonight, but Traeger, man, I just don't, there's not a better way to go. So yeah. overall though, your experience driving out here from Minnesota, you stopped by, saw my good friend, Dr. Jeff Lewis in Colorado, picked up yep. a, a trailer full of mounts. What, what do you think of that duck mount? That duck mount is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, I was kind of nervous pulling out here. I'm like, please don't break, please don't break. But we got it out here and um, we got it hanging up on the wall now and it is like when you need to get a bigger man cave and just fill it full of these kinds of mounts. I have that, that. I that, have that. I just, that guy is just amazing. He's amazing. His name's, amazing. Neil, his name's Neil Valencia. Amazing. He's just a good friend. He's not a commercial taxidermist. Mm-hmm. He just does it, you know, helps me out. Um, he's pro, but he's small. He stays small cause he makes a good living in another area and another, you know, his livelihoods in a different sector. But man, his postures and the realism of those ducks and the way their necks are, their positioning, their wings, all of their different feathers, their feet, the way he injects them, the coloring, it looks like January, you know, late December, yeah. January mallards. Yeah, and when you're like, sitting in that room now, yeah. you're looking at it like, like damn, I want to go hunting. When I'm sitting in the room, I feel like I'm sitting in the pond that they're coming into. It I mean, it's they look real. And then the, there's a goose coming over a couch, and it's, just, it's pretty awesome. Like that mount turned out extremely well. And are you proud of some of the pictures that you, that Tom yeah. got of Kai and, yeah. and Josie? Yeah. So Josie was a little, you know, she's young and weird. I mean, half the stuff we did with her on these tips, you know, she hasn't even seen. And um, so that's why we, but I really wanted just to show people that, you know, these are the mistakes that dogs are going to make. And I just really want to show people how to fix them. Um, where Kai is a little bit more experienced and uh, we got some really cool ones um, with Kai um, launching into the water and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it's I was really happy. Just hopefully Tom will share some of them. <laughs> do you think Tom, do you think Tom's a good photographer? Tom's the best of the best. Come on. Yep. Do, do you, guys you and always... Dave or anybody ever get tired of kissing nope. his ass like nope. you guys do? It's like I told you. I told you. What about the people that set up the shots? You got to be able to snap that picture. Really? Yep. Because when Tom's sitting out there and he goes putting the camera at the right angles or doing the right thing and the editing and uh, uh, Tom is amazing. Yeah, he is, man. And I always brag on him. I always brag about how good he is. And everybody's like, who takes your pictures? I'm like, the best all around, 100% best photographer in the outdoor industry. And everybody's like, can't say that. There's guys like Lee Jose and and, 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 and Buckley. There's so many good photographers out in, there. In which they are. In, and they're studs. Yeah, they're yeah. awesome. But. Tom is just weird about it. Like, just he, good. <laughs> and he's not a hunter. And that's what's weird is that that's he's got weird such, about it. He's got an uncanny ability and eye to see the shot, the angle, the lighting the backlight the shadowing whatever it is and then when he cut when he puts it all together you're just like god oh, dang it boy. yeah that's what makes tom cool is like chad said he does not hunt if you told tom right now here's the decoys here's the field here's the mud huts and the blinds and everything go set it all up it wouldn't wouldn't even look like a decoy spread at all no he would take all <laughs> that stuff you just named and, and go put, put it on a giant slalom ski mountain and then ski <laughs> yep. make a course out of yep. it because he is a badass skier, and his wife, Christy's even better. Oh, really? Yeah, she was yep. an Olympic alternate. They both skied at full-ride scholarships here at University of Nevada, Reno. And, uh, I knew they, they skied. They I didn't know that they were that kind of skiing. That's well, awesome. He, Tom is – Tom can – he can do everything. Christy is a GS badass, like <laughs> downhill, like wizard, like Alberta Tomba back in the day. I right. don't even know that name, but – 
Alberto Tomba was a stud Olympian downhill skier for Italy, and we've got tons of them that come from America. And a lot of them are born and raised right here in the in, in the Sierras, right here, mm-hmm. yeah, Lake Tahoe. Right. We have Heavenly, we have Mount Rose, we have North Star, we have so many um, Alpine, we have Kirkwood, we have so many great ski resorts right here. You know, you got Colorado that's got Vale and Aspen and 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 a, and a bunch of good ones, and then you got Canada that's got Whistlers and or Whistler and a bunch of good ski resorts up there. I know there's good ski resorts in a lot of different mountain ranges, but here we have some of the best in you know overall ski play destinations in the world. And Lake Tahoe, I think we'll drive up there today so you can. It's easily probably the prettiest. I don't know. I can't. It's hard because then people are going to be like, "You're an idiot." It's. 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 I'm going to go on record right now saying it's the prettiest place in America, and I know Montana and Wyoming and all. It's like being there, but having an unbelievable lake that's 1,800 feet deep, Mm -hmm. and it's got summer season with unbelievable beaches and fishing and houseboats and water skiing and jet skiing and Fourth of July and parties and bar hopping and houses on the on the beaches and right on the water. And then it's got ski season and winter season and 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 all these people come here from all over the world to sled and get on these snowboards and skis and 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 and, you know dodge trees and try not to kill themselves and get their tongue stuck (laughs) on the on the pole. Like old Jeff Daniels. You're like Jeff right. Daniels in well, Dumb yeah. and Dumber. You know? yeah, that's <laughs> what, <laughs> and then, yeah, Tom was saying that, you know, they'll, um, with the with the winter like this, um, you know, they'll still be snow in the mountains in 4th of July, and they'll literally come down the mountains right and then turn their skis right into right into the water. It's so like come down the mountain and then go right into the water or something. He was saying it was... Two years ago, we got like, again, I'm not going on record, but it was somewhere between eight and 900 inches of snow. This year, we've gotten almost 500 inches, somewhere between four and 500 inches. They will ski until four. They have to be closed on Fourth of July weekend. Think about what you're saying there. When it gets to be May up here, right. you're looking at 80 degree temperatures up there with 90 degree temperatures down here. June and July, you're looking at can be 100, 102 down here with 90 degrees up there, and they're still skiing with deep snow that was that came in in February and March. Mm-hmm. So that's when I was driving, I, we drove over the other day. We're getting ready to talk about that. When I drove over to Corning to go to see Francis and Paul at Corning Ford. The amount of snow on Interstate 80 going over the pass was amazing. Yep. So what Tom's saying is, yeah, you could go there in July, June, July, hit the slopes, come down, take your skis and bindings off, get in your bathing trunks, and then go jump in the water. Go and it's going to be 62, right. 65 degrees, which Tahoe is historically known for being a colder lake to swim in. But it's so clean, you can see the bottom in a lot of parts. And it's even in the deep parts, you feel like you can see the bottom. It's just so spectacular the sight of looking down off your boat and diving into that water so you get going in the ocean well it's better than that because there's no sharks right (laughs) (laughs) you ain't gonna get eaten and and then you have and then you um you 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 two years ago in the houseboat we had we had our pontoons out there there was 72 degrees surface temperature then you get six feet down and you're like oh that's a little colder then you go to you know 18 20 feet down if you're free diving a little bit it can get cold, but it's so refreshing. And then when it's hot out and you drive up there from, we take it for granted, dude, because we're like right here, 25 minutes from it, 40 at most about, you know, being this far North and boom, you, you, you're hundred degrees down here and you go jump in there and you feel like Wilford Brimley and cocoon move, you know, you just feel refreshed and it's like, it's, 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 it's youthful, man. It makes yep. you feel great. It rejuvenates your spirit. So overall the trip out here has been good. And then <laughs> to top it all off, you see my new truck and you're like, man, my, you know, my truck's got 170,000 miles. It's, it's, it's not a Ford. We won't say what it is, but you're like, I need to get a new truck. So 
We call our new partner at Corning Ford and they put together this deal for you. And now you're in a 2018 Ford F-250 Super Duty diesel with very limited miles on it and mm. barely got used as a rental by the dealership. And Francis and Paul put you in that. They delivered it this morning. And yep. you know, so what do you got to say about that? Um, well, I couldn't even believe it happened all that fast. Um, you know, my truck, it was kind of like, oh my God, is it, you know, it's it's getting older and getting high mileage and, you know, probably going to have to start sticking Monday into it. And then I come up here to talk to Chad and Chad's like, well, hey, we just hooked up with the Ford guys. We talked to Francis and Francis is, I mean, literally jumped on it right away. And within two days, I, I had the truck delivered to me three hours away, um, paper signed, everything. And, you know, gave me full value on everything, you know, good deal, everything. I, I couldn't be more happy. And you and, talk about like a buy, what were you going to say? What's that? You were going to say something else, but did I cut you off? No, nope. The Corning Ford guys, I mean, Francis is like, yeah, we can do this. He's like, he got all, yep, we sent him some pictures. It wasn't pushy at all and just boom, made it I happen. Hate, I, I bought, you know, since I was um, 16, I bet you I had 28 vehicles that I bought and sold. And um, I used to like to make money off of them, which now I don't anymore. But uh, um, they would, sometimes you pull up into a car dealership and I mean, they're running out the door after you and I, I'd literally just drive away. I hate pushy salesmen. And, um, Francis was like, whatever you want, man. And just helped me out and, um, got me into exactly what I want for, you know, a, a price that I can afford. Cause I can't, you know, afford much with just starting a business and, um, but needed something reliable for a lot of the traveling I do. And, uh, he hooked me up and helped me out and I, going to be more happy yeah no, you, you saw our new rig out there and we're yeah. about to get another one you got that and francis was texting me this morning he's actually up skiing he texted me a picture of him and his wife on the ski lift so <laughs> with his oakley goggles on he's all fired up and that's it's just cool those guys francis and paul down there at corning for corning has six thousand people that live in that city that's it six thousand Jesus. And they're the number two largest super duty Ford dealership in the country. They have 900 trucks and a few cars on their lot, SUVs, obviously, mm-hmm. on their lot at all times. 6,000 people. That tells you people coming from everywhere. They just everywhere. delivered cars to New Zealand, Minnesota, Hawaii, Wyoming, Idaho. They're telling me all these places they're delivering cars and trucks to. They discount them a little bit, but it's because of the buying experience and the people mm-hmm. that are in that dealership and what they believe in. They believe in the Western lifestyle. They believe in the cowboy lifestyle. They believe in the farming and ranching mm-hmm. lifestyle. They believe believe in the construction worker and blue collar worker nine to five lifestyle. They believe in the hunting and shooting and conservation lifestyle. They believe in what we believe in as real Americans of this is what we do on a daily basis. When you go in there, you see it, you sense it, you feel it. When you talk to them, you can tell that these are real freaking dudes that have mm-hmm. your best interest in mind. And they're going to put you in the freaking truck that right. makes the most sense for you. And that's all you had to do say, Hey, this is my, this is my, you know, my idea, my price range. Boom. Doesn't it's not it. like you're in a, a, a 2005, you're in a 2018 Ford F-250 three-quarter ton Super Duty, mm-hmm. brand new tires and wheels. And then to top it all off, my boy Rocky Merlot from Merlot Waterfowl and Merlot Farming, who everybody here, <laughs> they've heard him on the podcast and seen him on the Fowl Life, California Waterfowl Association. He's, you know, he's the, my Dago brother, my Guinea brother, my Italian stallion friend down in California. Well, he tops it all off by doing what? Put a uh, insulated, um, electric heated. heated, insulated two hold, um, stainless steel dog box in the back of it. And just said, Hey, take it. We'll work it out later. Yeah. He's never even met you. Right. And he's like, he's, he's a friend of you guys and boom. And that's yep. the kind of guy Rockies. That's who, that, that's the kind of people I like running with. And he knew you were a dog trainer. Mm-hmm. He bought that because he thought that he was going to go on a lot more trips to his leases in Kansas and in Kansas yep. and Nebraska for pheasants. And that kind of went to the wayside because his waterfowl business is so busy. And so is his all his almonds or almonds and his walnuts and all mm-hmm. of his farming business. And boom. He doesn't know you. That thing is not even a year old. Is eight thousand dollars retail, and he puts it in the back of your truck, right. and you're going to take it home and get it wired in. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. So your dogs will be riding in style. 
Yeah, no way we can use it. We're going to use it at home every day. So, so overall, pretty good freaking trip from Minnesota to Reno, huh? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, even back to the truck thing, you know, we were looking at prices at home too. And um, I couldn't, we couldn't beat it, you know. So it'd been, I would have been dumb not to do the deal. And it was just really happy with all of it. And the trip was um, outstanding and um, got really attached to, to Alyssa, Chad's daughter. Uh, she's, she's fun. She's one of a kind. <laughs> Alyssa, come here real quick. She's, uh, yeah, she's one of a kind. I don't talk about Alyssa a lot because she's my, she's my idol and she's my world. So I kind of keep her on the back burner, you know, but since you brought her up, Andrew, yeah. she might be taking a nap. Lissy! I think I can hear her little feet coming in here. Come here, Lissy, over here. Look at how cute she is. She's a duck caller, duck eat. What'd you eat last night? Did you like the, did you eat the duck last night with Uncle Dave? Mm -hmm. Tell us about it. Was it good? What was the best part about it? The taste, or was it because Daddy was there? Taste. Taste. <laughs> do you do you like Andrew? He's fine. He is, what about playing cards against him? Are you are you way better card player? Is nope. he better than yeah. you? No. Nope. Huh? Yes. What games do you beat him in? James Bond. What else? Do you play Go Fish against him? We played Go Fish uh, at the Thai restaurant, didn't we? Who wins yeah. at Slapjack? Yes, you. <laughs> he, he won yeah. a slapjack, Lissy? Yeah. 19 what? times in a row. You let him beat you at slapjack? <laughs> yes, totally. Uh, I let him. And what about me? I beat you at war every time? No. So do you, do you like when Daddy leaves to go on duck hunting trips? No. Why? Because you go for too long. Oh, okay. I won't. How long can I go for from now on? Five days. That's the time restraint you're giving me? Is five, even if I go to Canada? Yeah. Five days? What if you go with me? Still five days. Do you want to go turkey hunting pretty soon with Uncle Rocky? No. Why? Because it's boring. <laughs> <laughs> but duck hunting looks fun, huh? It looks the same. <laughs> At least she's honest, huh? Yep. What's the name of this podcast? This life ain't for everybody. Mm, I love you. All right, I'm glad that you're a better card player than Andrew, but you, you're dressed goofy today. No. Huh? Do you want to sing? Who's your favorite singer right now that's, that's going? Drake White. What's your favorite song? It Feels Good. How does it start? It goes up. No. Let's sing it here. Just a little no. bit together. No. Laying. No. Come on. No. You don't want to sing it? It feels good, good, good. No. Yes, it feels right, right, right. No. She's shy, but she does know every song by Mr. Drake White and Leith Lofton by heart. You won't sing a little bit of It Feels Good? No. <laughs> All right, Alyssa, thanks for uh, making your debut here at This Life Ain't For Everybody. Everybody, that's my good friend Andrew. Last name, please. Sklazacek. That's why I don't even try to pronounce it. What kind of name is that? <laughs> Czechoslovakian, 100%. All right, guys. Well, check out Wild Acre Kennels. He's become a good buddy here at The Foul Life. My brother Clay and Clint and myself and Tom and Tyson and the entire crew um, in the studio, all the editors, they all love him. We love Kai. Josie's awesome. We got Slash coming up in the works with him right now. Slash was born on February 28th, 28th. the last day of February. He'll go to training. We'll see Slash. I'll, I'll see him in the next couple months. And then uh, so we have Axel, who's the lead singer of the best band of all time, Guns N' Roses. We have Duff, who's the bass player of Guns N' Roses, who's a yellow lab. And now we have Slash. So we're just looking to complete the original five lineup of Guns N' Roses. We still need another yellow lab named Steven. 
got to come up with a better name than that, maybe Stevie or something. But Steven Adler was the original drummer of Guns N' Roses. And then we're going to need another black lab named Izzy after the, the rhythm guitarist, Izzy Stradlin. So who knows? We'll see what we can do. But don't forget that Guns N' Roses, the best freaking band of all time. And Axl Rose, the best front man, just my humble opinion. But Wild Acre Kennels, guys. Uh, don't forget to support the sponsors. This week's episode was brought to you by our friends at Corning Ford, Corning, California. Paul, Francis, thank you all so much for what you're doing for the foul life. This life ain't for everybody, our banded family of brands. And now Wild Acre Kennels is rolling into Cor- Corning Ford back in Minnesota. They're going to hit the road tomorrow to head back east. This episode's also brought to you by Yukonuba Premium Dog Food. They're a great partner of ours here at this podcast and the foul life, the official dog food of the foul life of wild acre kennels the official dog food food of mr lee howard and brad errington and all of the crew down at brad's mossy pond retrievers in georgia in new york they're also the official dog food of our dogs here duff and Waylon, with kirk nesbitt and his dad les out here in nevada so you can do but thank you for everything you do for us can't wait for the future and this episode is also brought to you by just two more hold on a second our friends in georgia deemer box if you guys have not seen a deemer box or heard a deemer box or hooked your phone up and your bluetooth to a deemer box check them out portable unbelievable sound quality with bass and treble they float they're waterproof they open up and have a storage case for anything that you want to carry on your excursions whether it's a passport or wallet or a knife or if you pack if you're a concealed carry guy if you're an open carry guy they keep everything dry they keep everything safe they're lockable floatable waterproof deemer box d-e-m-e-r box james deemer was the founder he has some good partners in that business and as a matter of fact he's coming from georgia to nevada tomorrow to join us on this life ain't for everybody podcast to talk about deemer box tell us the story the innovation and why the brand is exploding across the country right now we're proud to be friends with them we're proud to be partnered up with them and we cannot see what the future holds and finally today's episode is brought to you by the north american whitetail championships brought to you by michael waddell's bone collector booger bottom georgia as well as the boys steve and mike and clint over at wicked outfitters in kansas check out wicked outfitters they have hunts available right now for turkey for spring of 19 they just got a few slots open fall of 19 they have muzzleloader and archery hunts available for whitetail deer and they also have waterfowl packages for ducks and geese available right now get it booked for the 2019 2020 season visit the great state of kansas it's the sunflower state they call it a fly flyover state but when you're in the hands of wicked outfitters with clint or my boy you know mitch yoder at kansas hunts get a hunt booked over there guys kansas is awesome we love it the cornfields the wheat fields the tree lines the arkansas river the mallards the canadas the specs get after it over there the north american whitetail championships 300 dollars to join with an opportunity to qualify to win fifty thousand dollars cash money And remember, when you sign up for that $300, you're going to have a prize package coming to you for your entry that's already valued at over $300 with Tacticams and Broadheads and Peep Sights and all the accessories you're going to need for your bow, including a tumbler from Gator Coolers from the McGeehee brothers, Brian and Mitch, our boys from down in Louisiana. I know they're going to see Zach Brown tonight in New Orleans. We'll be seeing Zach and the crew next week in Laughlin before we head to Phoenix for spring training. A lot of cool vibes going on right now. Lots of cool energy. Again, thank you all for listening and supporting the podcast. We have new merchandise available for the foul life. This life ain't for everybody. Decals are in stock now. And also jargon game calls. Our new duck calls, the small talk, the icebreaker and the loudmouth are a hit. They're being talked 
talked about a lot. Check them out. They are bad to the bone. They are ducky. Remember, be mallard and keep talking. For Andrew from Wild Acre Kennels, I'm Chad Belding. This has been another great episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Tom Rashashin, the guy that everybody kisses your ass, boy, because they, they, they know how talented of a photographer you are and how good of a guy you are. He was even here last night eating wild game with his beautiful daughters, Eva and Maggie, and his beautiful wife, Christine. Take it away, Tom. Play that Leith Loft and Jam that him and Drake White wrote. What you going to do when the money's all gone? Again, guys, we're humbled by the support of this podcast. I'm Chad Belding for Andrew with Wild Acre Kennels. We out. See you next time. Money's all gone. Say life owners won't last that long. What you going to do when the money's all gone?